All right. That snake is scary in that one, huh? It's like when I mean, you put a PG-13 on that snake. I'm gonna, that's the first time I've seen that video. Um, nightmares from that. Um, greetings to you all. Like Jay said, um, this is, uh, this is uh, good on one hand. I'm excited to be back, but it's awkward, right? This, this, is, this is a little um, awkward. My name's Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If I don't know you, um, and you're in this room, um, I would love to meet you. So if this is the first time you're hearing my name, um, I would love uh, to meet you um, at some point soon. Um, so this morning, we're taking a break from the book of Psalms, which we've been going through, and we are going to talk a little bit this morning about the church, um, the church in general, what the Bible has to say about the church. During the quarantine, um, last couple of months, I've had... Um, I've been drawn to reflect on questions like, what is the church? And what's the purpose of the church? And I think um, that's because we didn't get to do this. We didn't get to even gather in missional communities face to face. And so that provoked in me questions and, and time to reflect on, well, what is this? Like, I had this ache deep down of, of like missing people and kind of mourning the loss of Sunday mornings. So it made me think, well, well, why is that there, right? Like, why do I miss this so much? Why do I grieve the loss of being able to, to gather with brothers and sisters to, to worship him and to honor him? Um, so we're going to look um, first at what um, the church is, just really briefly. It's more of a reminder for us, especially coming, coming, coming out of this time and moving into a little bit of a phase one of reopening and reentry here. But also, I think um, I want to give us a, a one thing that I'm, I'm praying for us for, and Jay t- touched on it a little bit, but how do we actually love people well during this time? And so we're going to start with who the church is, and then we're going to look at a passage that I think is one of the best illustrators of how we are to love other people, especially in a time like this. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, I, I thank you for this time where um, all of us have, have, have longed for um, to at least see uh, some of our brothers and sisters at Providence Road here today. And we know it's just a start. We know this is, um, we're just kind of sticking our toe in the water here of reentry. And we want to pray for um, all of our brothers and sisters that are part of our church that um, are not here this morning um, and pray for their health. And pray that as they spend time with their families and worship together as a family, that you would give them fruitful time. And we also, I also want to pray for um, our college students. It's so good to see a few of them here this morning. Um, but I also just, I, I grieve um, the fact that the baptism Sunday, nobody really knew that would be the last Sunday for some of our college students um, forever. Because they're, they're leaving town and they've graduated. Um, or even ones who had to start their summer break early to some degree, as far as church goes, we pray for them as we are all apart and will be apart for the next several months. And I pray most of all that you're honored and you're glorified during this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I, I think we were all aware of the division in our country on many issues prior to COVID-19 prior to the, this pandemic. Um, and I think from the last, just paying any attention to the news in the last couple of months, that division 
And that intensity of disagreement has only intensified. And I know for me, I think it's because of the, the 24-hour news cycle and social media. Like, I can't get away from this. Like, in some of my normal um, distractions or entertainment options have been taken away from me. Like, like sports. Like going out to eat. Or going to the movie theater. Stuff I, I, I like to do has been kind of taken away from me for a little while. So I feel like I've been almost forced more into um, this 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 uh, emotional pendulum swinging that I'm sure a lot of you are struggling with. Every time I open my phone or my computer, I can't help but get swept up into what people are talking about, what people's opinions are, what, who do we trust and who do we not trust. And it's so hard for me one day to be on one side and the, the next day to be on another side. And I, I, I don't like that. I don't like that disorientation that this season has brought to me, at least, and I'm sure to many of you. You have the, 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 uh, the politicization um, of this pandemic. You have conspiracy theories. You have Christians fighting one another on social media um, based off of a lot of what's going on, especially secondary matters, matters that really don't matter to the mission and the kingdom of God. Christians are fighting over these things on social media and throughout the news. So it's really hard in this time to live out the two commands that Jesus highlights um, in the Gospels of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says all of God's commands can be summed up in these two commands. And if you just think of how hard it is to live those out during this time, it's really, really difficult. And we're going to see in God's word here in a second where God gives us a lot of clarity, I think, on how do we live in a time like we find ourselves in now. But before I get there, like I mentioned at the beginning, I want to talk about what the church is. I want to read two verses that we've built really a lot of our church philosophy on and what I think is one of the best passages in all the scripture as it relates to the church. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, and the verses will be on the screens. We've pulled, the, we've pulled the Bibles out of the room just for obvious reasons, um, but if you have your own, feel free to read that along with me. If you don't have a Bible and you need one to take home, find me after the service. I will make sure you get one of those Bibles that are normally out. So 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter says here, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now the context here, Peter is writing to the persecuted church. In this time period, the church is being heavily persecuted by Rome. And so what he's asking them to do, he's not asking them to do this and to to, to remember this in in a safe time or a convenient time. The people hearing this for the first time would have found themselves in a really difficult position. Now, I don't think our church is getting persecuted right now. That's not what's going on right now. But I do think we find ourselves in a really difficult time as the church, as does everyone else really on earth right now. Um, And so this is what Peter is writing into. And then he uses in verse 9 these four pairs of of words, really, that um, the first word in all these pairs is an adjective or a descriptor followed by a corporate or or plural identity of God's people. We have chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. 
a, a, a possessed people, a possessed by God people. Um, and so you see this intentionality. And there is, we, if we had time, we could go back into the Old Testament. Um, Peter's readers would have immediately recognized these phrases that would have been descriptors of God's people in the Old Testament. And what Peter is trying to, to, get his, to get his readers to understand is this isn't an individualistic thing. This is a, this is a group thing. This is a, a group of people, a group of brothers and sisters. And it's, a, it's, a, it's something that is very deep. It goes beyond just being a social club or other descriptors of this time. We have a lot of kids in the room. Kids, um, you, many of you, maybe you're not playing with Legos right now, but hopefully you know what Legos are, right? So imagine you, you, you see a couple of Legos lying there. They, they're, they're, they're okay, right? Because they're Legos. You start thinking, well, that, that goes to something. What set does this go to? And maybe I can put this Lego with another Lego and build something. But if you just have one, maybe two Legos, and you can't find any other ones, that's, that, that's not very fun, right? You're like, there's got to be a bigger purpose to this. And the same thing is with our faith. Like, having... Being an individual in our faith is okay, but especially this passage is saying it's much better when you link up with other brothers and sisters and actually be the people of God. So you imagine Legos, a bunch of individual pieces. Once you start putting them together, it makes something awesome. It makes something cool. It makes something that maybe you've seen on a movie. And that's a bunch of little bitty individual Legos, different sizes, different colors, come together to make something much greater and cooler than one or two or even three individual Legos. And so together we are um, stronger and we reflect God to a greater degree is what Peter is saying here. And we know from this context in First Peter that God is the one who gives us these things. If we read back at before Peter says these things, he talks a lot about the gospel and what God, what, how God has made us into his people. Now, I want to say this. During this season, we've used technology to try to stay connected. But I want to make sure we understand that this isn't the church. Like, being on Zoom together is not the church. It's just not. Can you get a good sermon over Zoom? Sure. Can you listen to music over with technology? Sure. Can you get training and content and say hi to someone through technology? Absolutely. And technology will always be used for those things. But when it comes to brothers and sisters gathering together under the umbrella of God who has saved us into his family, Zoom is not the church. It's just not. And hopefully, like me, you've experienced that during this time, trying to do this online and and do this uh, maybe just with your family, but not with other families included. This is difficult. And I think this is because we were meant to interact as physical people, as physical beings, embodied presence. Imagine if Jesus would have come as the incarnation through technology. Like that, that doesn't work. It wouldn't have worked. Jesus had to come in bodily form to do the work that God wanted him to do. We can't lay our hands on people and physically touch people and pray for them in power and ask God to move in someone's life through technology. We don't get to see the body language of people. All these things we miss when we're on a Zoom call. And I understand that this Zoom call, we had to do it, and, and some people will con- continue to have to do it. And that's okay for a temporary time. But we shouldn't uh, think that this takes place of uh, the church. 
There's even a study out there, studies being shown on Zoom, that there's a reason if you've been on Zoom all day, you're tired. It's because when you have to rely on your, your um, non, um, all on verbal communication, verbal context, you're having to use your mind a lot more, uh, a different place in your mind a lot more than you normally would because 85 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal, right? And so when you're relying so much on verbal communication on Zoom, it is exhausting. So if you're tired because of you're using Zoom, there's a reason you're tired. As human beings, we weren't meant to find all our interaction and our deep interaction through technology. And let's move on. Next, he says, Peter, that you may proclaim. So the purpose of these identities is so that you may proclaim his, the excellences of him, God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The purpose there, it's our purpose in life, to glorify him, to honor him, to make much of him, that our lives would display the excellencies of God. Then in verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You also say, once you were orphans, once you were fatherless, but now you are my children. Because once you had not received mercy, you were under judgment, you were under God's wrath, but now you have received mercy. And that's another way to say the gospel. So the reason why we've been brought into these groups of people is because of God's mercy and nothing, nothing else. God's love, Christ's work, the power of the Spirit. That's the only reason that we, are, we can call each other brothers and sisters and why we can proclaim the excellencies of him. I want to move to Romans 14 now, and this is the how of this, okay? So he gives us, Peter's given us some clarity here about who we are as a church. And now we're going to move over to Paul in Romans. And if you remember when we went through Romans, the first 11 chapters of Romans are, is, is considered some of the greatest, for sure, the, probably Paul's greatest theological writing in all the Bible. Uh, chapters 1 to 11, verse 12, he shifts to more of how do we live this out? How do we practice this? And then in verse Chapter 14, he gives us a case study, or he throws out an example, and really a few examples, of how we love one another when we disagree or we don't see eye to eye. So let's look at Romans 14, 1 through 5. This is the last passage for today. As for the one who is weak in faith, wel- wel- welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should fully be fully convinced in his own mind. So what Paul, he's setting up a scenario here. So the issues that he is talking about are not sinful, right? So he's saying, okay, take, take sinful issues off the table here. And so he says, he uses meat, right? So the context here briefly is um, a lot of Jews were being saved into the faith. And in the Jewish uh, religious custom, you could not eat meat, right? You could not eat meat. And so the people who were being saved out of the Jewish world still had some issues with eating meat. So he tells the people who are okay with eating meat, the strong people with this particular issue, he says, hey, if you, um, if you think it's okay to eat meat and you're looking over at your brother or sister and then they're struggling with eating meat, then love them. 
Don't look down upon them. Don't judge them. It's okay if you have this conviction that eating eating meat's fine. He actually calls them the strong ones as far as their conscience goes in relation to meat. Okay, but then and then on the weak side, he's saying, "Hey, weak brothers and sisters, like you're still struggling with this issue. It's not sinful, but you're struggling with it, right? And so don't look down upon those who who are exercising their freedom to eat meat." There's nothing wrong with eating meat now because you've been brought in to the kingdom of God. And we're not holding to that, that religious um, observance anymore. And that weak and strong language there, it's, it's not necessarily the faith at large. It's on this particular issue, meat. And I think this is really important for the day and age that we live in. I think there ha- there's kind of two components here. I think there's um, an external component that, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people in our country right now that are fighting, fighting about a lot of things. And I think we can use this principle externally in our world, right? Like be able to show grace to people who disagree with us. If we're not talking about an issue of sin, we can withhold judgment, withhold our opinion and our preference to ourselves and still love other people, right? And and then within the church, especially with, with reopening and how serious is the virus and how serious we are, seriously are we in, in being able to get it, this is another issue within the church as well. So those of us who maybe feel a little bit, uh, maybe less afraid to come, um, it, we shouldn't look down upon those who are maybe still fearful to come. Because again, that's, this is not an issue of sin. This is not an issue of morality. It's one person's conscience is saying one thing, one person's conscience is saying another thing. And he even says here in verse, um, in verse uh, let's see here, 3, he says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And then he says, For God has welcomed him. So both people God has welcomed into his family. Both people are a part of God's family based off the, the, the blood of Jesus, not whether they're abstaining from meat or not. So once again, he's moving them back to the gospel, saying the gospel is what saves. You did nothing to save yourselves So be humble, especially in issues that don't relate to sin. And then in verse 5, he also says, um, the very last sentence there, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So he's not saying holding strong convictions are wrong. He's saying you should be convinced in your own mind, even in matters of preference and opinion. Have strong opinions, but how, how do you love one another and treat one another who has a different, maybe equally strong opinion as you do on the same issue? And this is really, really difficult. I mean, not even take, all, take COVID-19 quarantine out of this. You just think of other secondary non-moral issues that we can fight about as a church, even internally. And we can get after each other on these things. And what Paul is saying is, don't do that. Live in harmony with one another. Be charitable towards your brothers and sisters. Now, there's other places in his writings where he said, hey, when it's sin, call it out as sin and gently restore a brother or sister. But when it's matters of preference, matters of opinion, be careful. Hold those opinions strongly, but be careful how you treat one another. So, so how do, well, let me read a quote real quick. Um, this is a quote from another pastor that I read this week. I thought it was really good. Um, he says, I believe one of the ways that the enemy will seek to divide our ranks within the church is by tempting to use, us to use our opinions against each other. If the devil has his way, will be throwing stones of accusation from all sides, calling cautious people soft, labeling the optimists of being reckless. More than that, the enemy especially loves when we cement ourselves in political corners, 
adding opinionated fuel to the already tumultuous fire of conflict. Okay? And, and, and we see this even externally, like I mentioned. Like, uh, there was another video a pastor put out, and I thought it was great, uh, two weeks ago. And he, his, his tagline on it was, God loves economies and people. Like, God can love the flourishing of cities and, 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 and making sure people don't go into poverty. God can love that, and he can love people enough to not let them die. Like, it doesn't have to be an either-or when we think about um, issues in our country. Now, I'm not smart enough to figure how, how both of those work out, right? And we have people, hopefully, that do their jobs in, in what they're called to do. Kids, another thing real quick in here. Um, just remember, I would ask you, when you disagree with another kid, someone else, maybe your age, um, on something, and you, have, you think about something one way, or you have a really strong opinion, like, make sure you ask yourself, is this worth fighting over? Like, is this opinion worth um, maybe putting someone else down or trying to argue your way or fight your way into getting them to believe you? Because what the, the, what the Bible's saying here is that what matters is if, if somebody loves Jesus or not. That's really what matters. So before we try to win that argument, especially kids who are a little bit older in here, like I would say, I want this person to love Jesus most of all, more than I want them to hold my opinion on something. So how can we love other kids like we want them to know Jesus? And not how can I want them to, to, to like this person or dislike this person or like this teacher and dislike this teacher, okay? So I think there's definitely application for you in this passage. Now, how do we do this? Three quick things and I'm finished. Number one, be humble. I mentioned it a minute ago, but we... Um, there, there are very few medical professionals in our church, okay? And there are very few people probably around you and, and, and you especially that know enough or, or have enough time to do the homework to make a very researched, educated opinion, okay? So we should just know that, okay? Like all of us are being a little bit armchair medical professionals here, armchair politicians. And it's, again, it's okay to have strong opinions, but let's keep those to ourselves and be humble. There are people out there that know more than you, just bottom line, and know more than me, way more than me, okay? Be humble. Number two, pray for wisdom. Book of James says, pray for wisdom for those, for for everyone, really, but we especially want to highlight the people in authority, our politicians, our leaders, our medical professionals, People who are making the decisions moving forward. Because again, you have a really a lot of really tough decisions moving forward for a lot of people. And I do not envy being in their position right now. So we need to pray for them. Number three, um, lastly, most important, remember the security and trust we have in Jesus. It is so easy during this time when we feel shaken, when our world underneath us, what we know is familiar, is, is, is unstable. It's easy, easy for us to look for our security and other things. We can run to the extremes of views, not saying all conspiracy theories are wrong, but a lot of them are. And so the, the, the kind of the principle here is if you are running to the extreme in one of these issues, then you are probably looking for your security in a person, in a belief system, in a political party, in a philosophy, more than you are looking to the security of Jesus. And all that does is it forces you to demonize people that disagree with you because now you put all your chips in in this on this position so of course you have to demonize the other person because you're putting your banking your life on this position of course you have to demonize the other person when you do that 
Now, if you have your trust, hope, and faith in Jesus, it's the best way to remain in the middle. It's the best way to have strong opinions, but also recognize, well, my opinion may be wrong. This opinion that I think is right may be wrong. You can hold your opinion a little bit looser because your security is in Jesus. Whatever happens, your security is in Jesus. God loves you because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have done, not because of an opinion you have. God loves you because of Jesus. So really the command here, back to the, the two greatest commands, or great, the, the commands that can sum up everything, is love. Love God, love people during this time. Not love yourself, love God, love people. And I think it's important because we can model how to disagree well during this time. Maybe more than ever, at least in my lifetime, how do we disagree in the body, still love one another, serve one another, um, encourage one another, and hold different views? It's difficult, it's hard, but if we remember the gospel, that we did nothing to save ourselves, it allows us, I think, to be able to be more charitable and loving towards our brothers and sisters, and then towards people outside of our church. Let me pray, and then we'll move into communion. Father, Help us. Help us. um, Help us um, love you above all things. To not get caught up, which it's so easy to do, trying to grab onto something that feels firm and plant there. And maybe that's not you. Maybe that's a uh, against a belief system or a conspiracy theory or a politician or whatever it is that we can, we can go all in there and that we just aren't able to love people well when we do that. So help us. Give us wisdom. I pray you give us wisdom as we navigate this through your spirit. I pray you would give our, um, our leaders, our politicians, glo- uh, national and local, give them wisdom. Medical professionals, people in the medical field that are making decisions, give them wisdom. I pray that we would continue to pray for those people and help us. And I pray that maybe you're using this time to bring more people to yourself. Maybe you're using all that's going on to start a revival. I pray, I hope we all are praying that this is what this means. So I pray that we would look for ways to love people and be able to communicate the gospel to them to see people saved during this time. And maybe we'll look back in 5, 10, 20 years, 100 years, that this was the the window of time where your spirit moved throughout our country and and to the rest of the world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.